You're listening to the Infidelity and Beyond podcast. Each week, we talk about topics that focus on not only surviving, but thriving after being betrayed by a partner or spouse. It can be one of the most traumatic and lonely times of your life, and that's why we're here. So welcome. This is your safe space. Well, hello again, troops, and welcome to the podcast. I'm going to be talking about things today, possessions, and really how little we need and how decluttering our lives of the things can, of things can help us focus more on ourselves and give us more time, brain space, and money to do the things we love. First of all, I'm going to read you an extract of the book I'm writing about my journey and my recovery. So here goes. I don't tend to get attached to objects. I am a minimalist. Apart from my clothes, I tend to love people, not things. But I loved my engagement ring. It was a large, bright blue sapphire surrounded by 18 tiny but perfect diamonds. Everyone said it reminded them of Princess Diana's engagement ring. And at random moments, it would catch the light just to remind me how pretty it was. Joined by its partner in crime, a plain gold wedding band, a year later, I never took them off. The three of us, my engagement ring, my wedding ring and I, were inseparable. We travelled the world together, went on grand adventures together, loved my husband together, the weight of them ever constant on my left hand. They were with me when I had my babies and silent witnesses to my sorrow when my favourite aunt died. After 25 years of unswerving service to me, I felt my rings needed a bit of TLC. So for the first time I could remember, I took them off. I found a local craftsman jeweller because I wasn't going to entrust those precious objects to just anybody. And we discussed how we were going to revive them. In the end, I opted for a new wedding band of white gold and a new setting for the engagement ring. I bade farewell to the scratched and worn yet faithful rings and look forward to the future. Many weeks later, I gleefully picked up my new set and oh, how pretty they were. My engagement ring had a new sparkle to it, a new lease of life about it. The wedding ring, brand new, bright and shiny. I was excited about what new adventures awaited us in the next 25 years. The wedding ring is long sold for gold now to a gold reseller in a transaction as quick as it was cold. The engagement ring I haven't got around to selling yet, and it sits in a nondescript plastic container somewhere in the back of my wardrobe because it makes me sick to look at it. I don't love this ring anymore. I hate it. I hate the memories that it holds that are tarnished with it. So that is the beginning of my chapter on things. Now, what I don't say in the book is that I used the money from selling my wedding ring to buy a laser hair removal wand. That's been awesome. I always wanted laser hair removal, so something long-lasting and positive did come out of it, even though it wasn't jewellery. <laughs> so, so much changes when you're cheated on. The world just goes complete, completely topsy-turvy, and that includes the things we have around us. The main one is our house, of course. It holds memories, good and bad. And the thing is, you probably have to sell it when you divorce. And it's 
such a stark contrast of emotions selling a house when you are separating against the joy, excitement and anticipation of when you bought it. Now, in my case, I was going to a much smaller house, so I had to do some serious downsizing. That was, of course, after my husband and I went through everything and divvied things up. And it's an interesting process, divvying things up. You start looking at your stuff differently. And in my case, there were a couple of surprises. I wasn't interested in the good dinner service or the good glasses anymore. That was something I used to pride myself on, having lovely things when people would come over and we would have drinks and dinners and parties, etc. I was happy to give him the Rydells and the plates with gold embossing. I just couldn't imagine ever wanting to drink or eat off these items again and remember the special events or times we'd use them. Now, the usual dishes didn't have the same level of emotion attached to them for me. And so I was happy for all of them to go and to give them to him without a second thought. I guess probably the second one isn't that surprising, but I realized I was excited to get rid of some of his stuff that I didn't much like. He had a tech set up in his office that was just gadgets and wires everywhere, and our taste in art was different as well. So again, glad to see some of those prints go. The key one for me, though, was photos. So I went through all of our photo albums and destroyed every photo of us together, including our wedding album. And the satisfaction I got from throwing it in the bin, I still remember to this day. And of the photos that were left, I took out every photo of me and destroyed them and then gave him what was left of the decimated albums. And it was such a visual representation of the emotional destruction that had occurred. And it was two big boxes of stuff that I no longer had to keep. And this might sound blasphemous to a lot of people. I also threw out every single photo of me in those years I was with him, even if it wasn't a picture with him in it, and every single negative I kept. Now, I had some comments that one day, you know, you might regret getting rid of them. It is in your history and, you know, you might want to look back, etc. And I really don't think I will. It was very cathartic at the time. And now I have less things around me that I have to worry about, to store, to make sure that I have room in my house for, to drag around with me when I move. And I actually have found it very freeing. And once you can get rid of photos that hold so much emotional attachment to them, other things are actually much easier to remove from your life. And at one stage, I would try and sell bits bits and pieces on eBay or Facebook Marketplace because, you know, it was special to me, so it would be special to someone else and someone else will pay good money for it, etc. But if ever you've tried to sell anything online, you'll know what a pain it was and how everyone wants to barter you down anyway. And it really, first of all, it, it adds a really bad taste in your mouth, but also it really holds up the process. You've got better things to do than to argue with someone over $5 for a table. So I found a big op shop near me and basically took weekly trips to them. They can have it. People will go in there and find some lovely things and I'm glad and happy for them. And in short, my reduction of things that I have around me, whether I was emotionally attached to them or not, has been a huge positive in my life and my recovery journey. Now, the thing was, I was curious to see as to 
as to why this might be to understand, you know, our deeply emotional and psychologically complex relationship that we have between us, a sense of security in our things. And I found out that um, evolutionary psychology, anthropology, consumer research, neuroscience, all of these sciences and research have agreed and affirmed that our belongings fill many emotional needs, that they comfort us amid loneliness, boost our confidence about our abilities. Actually, our possessions do not just make us feel secure by substituting the more important people in our lives. We actually see these objects as extensions of ourselves and themselves. We believe in some way our humanity, their humanity, our souls are held or attached to these things. And if these things become damaged or lost, lost, we ourselves feel damaged or lost. Which explains why we keep Nana's old vase that she absolutely loved, even though it was incredibly ugly and she's been gone for 20 years, right? And our relationship with stuff, I mean, it sounds a little crazy, but it, it is absolutely perfectly normal. And um, there is a an evolutionary psychologist at Northumbria University in England, Nick Neve. Um, and he says, we all keep things and take great comfort in our possessions. It's part of our evolutionary heritage. Keeping food, especially if it was hard to get, was and is still a major survival mechanism. And he said the same is true of, of things like weapons and tools. If you send someone out into the world with nothing, they feel vulnerable. They need their possessions to make survival possible. So, you know, this is why we like our stuff around us. It comforts us. It is that, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs around safety and comfort. So I get why perhaps having your stuff around you and the things you know might, well, does comfort us and comfort you. But there's also studies around decluttering and reducing complexities in our life that tell another story. So two of the benefits that I experienced with getting rid of my stuff is that I felt like I was able to let go of the past. If I don't have to walk, have those photo albums, I don't have to walk past them every day. I don't have photos of myself and my ex together sitting there. I don't get pulled back in time when I'm just walking into my office wanting to find my passport and, you know, there's a reminder there. And the second benefit I find comes from um, being a minimalist and, and um, I follow the minimalists and they say owning less stuff means we have more money, more time, more focus and more energy. It also means less stress, less worry, less distraction. Minimalism allows us to live a life that is better example for our kids and a better lifestyle for the planet. So I found, for those of you struggling with perhaps maybe trying to get rid of a few things that um, either are taking up a lot of space in your life or a lot of emotional space in your life, I found a list of 20 reasons why um, having less things is better. I'm going to read them to you now. Now, some of them have already be covered, been covered by that quote I just read from the minimalists, but you know, it's worthwhile making sure that this message gets across. So less stress, more space, more sense of peace and calmness. It's easier to find things. It increases productivity 
and efficiency because you don't waste as much time trying to find things. It's easier to look after. Your home is ready for visitors. You don't have to tidy up every time people come because, you you know, there's just less stuff there. You live in a smaller house and this is a big one for me and I love this. You'll spend less. You will have more focus on quality over quantity. It encourages gratitude. So when we're used to having lots of stuff, we don't actually fully appreciate what we already have. So we're actually grateful for the things we do have. You have more time. You have more freedom. You set a great example for your children and for those who are in your lives. You start living in the present. So when our homes are full of sentimental items from times gone by, you can end up living in the past. And as I said, that reminder of things. So this enables you and allows you to start living more in the present. And you can stop comparing. Oh my gosh, this is one thing that I actually did struggle with, you know, moving from the house, the forever house to a townhouse now in not such a great area that I was in. There is no way I can compete or compare with my peers anymore. I definitely have less money and less space. And, you know, I, I, comparison is the thief of joy. So I have, I, you know, there's no way I can compare myself to my cohort anymore and actually win. Like there's no chance of that. So to have that, to, to have that freedom of not comparing anymore is such a gift. And with the money that you have and the extra time, et cetera, you can contribute to good causes, but you can actually contribute to your own cause and to your own safety and well-being and happiness. It's better for the environment, so you're not you know, consuming as much. You live intentionally because it's a conscious decision um, to own less. What you do buy and keeping your house and keeping your life takes on more importance because every item counts. And the last one is that you're happier. Owning less stuff makes you happier because of everything that we've just talked about. Um, and so all of these things, the the 20 things that I've just talked about, sort of all work towards you having a better life with less stuff. Now, I'm not saying get rid of everything yesterday, but perhaps as part of your healing and working towards your new life, you can take a look at the old objects and the old things and make a conscious decision to see if you like them, to see if you want them to come with you into your new life and your future. And if they don't serve you or give you joy, release them back into the world where they can find a different forever home. Or if it's in the case of photos, close that door firmly on that chapter of your life. You don't have to do everything at once either, right? A drawer, a corner of your room, the shed out the backs. You can start with something where you probably know you'll get rid of some stuff and see how you feel afterwards. I promise you, it's, we all know what we feel like when, you know, we just tidy our desk, right? It's a really good feeling. So to be able to do that in small bits and not feel overwhelmed by trying to you know, get rid of everything is the way to do it. So I'm going to leave you today with a quote from Tenzin Tamo, the Buddhist nun. Having more and more won't solve the problem. And happiness does not lie in possessions, 
even relationships. The answer lies within ourselves. If we can't find peace and happiness there, it's not going to come from the outside. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next week. Take care. You've been listening to the Infidelity and Beyond podcast. We're honoured we're a part of your recovery journey and remind you to seek help from friends, family and professionals when you need it. 